That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. Listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the Batman and DC podcast with no limits. This week, we are joined by Legends of Lego Batman in California. Feels good. Tease us in New York. Uh, LootCrate.com, uh, Batman collection. <laughs> shameless plug. plug in there. No, that's not shameless. Don't worry about it. Believe that's, us. That's what it's for. Yeah. We got Dunk in New York. I deliver cupcakes. Okay, yeah, I'm going to wait for some of those. <laughs> We got Grandpa Batman in Texas. LootCrate.com Batman Collection. <laughs> nice. Batforce Tom in California. What's up, guys? And I'm Robin Cross in Canada. This week's guest is an Eisner and Harvey Award winner, co-creator of Paper Girls with uh, Brian K. Vaughn, also known for interior and cover work on characters like Wonder Woman, Batman, Nightwing, Zatanna, and the designer of one of my favorite Batman black and white statues of all time. October 19th, we'll see the release of the first issue of his DC Black Label series, Catwoman Lonely City, which he is writing, illustrating, coloring, lettering, and I believe hand-delivering to comic shops around the world like a nerd Santa Claus. Welcome to the show for the first time, Mr. Cliff Chang. Hey. Thank you, Cliff. Good to be here. Thank you for, for taking the time to do this. How is life? Uh, life is good. It's, uh, you know, it's been a long road uh, getting to this first issue. And, you know, uh, you know, it's going to be out on Tuesday and, and just finally letting people read it and, you know, finding out what the reactions are. Uh, you know, I'm just uh, I'm just waiting I'm a bit on pins and needles. But, uh, you know, it's so far the the advance, uh, you know, word has been pretty good. So, um, you know, I'm feeling good about it. Yeah, I've definitely enjoyed the start of the story. And you referenced it being like a long road. I, if if everyone knows the, the whole story of this, it's been a very long road. Uh, one of the pastimes that Lieber Mayo joined us, uh, he was taking us through the history of Black Label back when it was mm. first supposed to start. And yeah. I, if I remember right, I think he told us that you were meant to be doing the first Black Label book. I think it was going to be a Golden Age <laughs> Batman, maybe with uh, Azarello. Yeah. Wow. That was a long time ago. Um, that was actually uh, why we did that statue. Um, yeah. The It was supposed to come out of First Wave, uh, which was like their pulp uh, and DC um, crossover. And we were going to do sort of a, you know, a pulpy noirish Batman, uh, Brian Azzarello and I, and it was supposed to come out of that. And they kind of moved it around a little bit. And then they said, oh, well, we're going to do this you know, we had this idea for Black Label 
and and this would be a perfect fit for it. So you know, there's a script out there. Uh, I never got a chance to draw it, but we, um, you know, they also said, well, you know, in order to promote this, let's let's make this make a statue. That's and so that's why there's a crazy statue with Batman and guns and you know, looking a little forties ish. Yeah, love that statue. But who knows? Like the way things worked out, if if you had ended up doing that black label story at that time maybe you know you know butterfly effect kind of thing you mm. may not have ended up doing paper girls with uh and which is now being shot for amazon yeah who knows uh what that was like i mean it it was um a weird time you know brian and i had been working on this batman pitch and getting it up and running for so long now and uh, for so long at that point and I was very committed to it because I just thought it was such a cool idea. And then one day Brian calls me up and he says, what do you think about Wonder Woman? And I'm like, what do you mean? What do I think about Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman's cool. But, you know, he's like, they want us to do Wonder Woman. And I was like, but what, what about Batman? <laughs> you know, and, and Brian told me his Wonder Woman's idea. And I was like, oh, that is cool. <laughs> but, um, but I was like, no, I, I'm committed to Batman. Uh, we're going to do it. And, um, and so he was like, all right, I'll, I'll tell them that. And, you know, it went ahead and then it got to a point where I think I was at, I was at a convention and having, you know, lunch with uh, some of the higher ups and, and uh, basically they ended up canning the, they said, uh, we're going to delay the Batman book. Let's do that next year instead. And then, at that point, I was like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Because they had actually, I think, maybe even tried to, you know, um, they they had another artist. They were talking to another artist about Wonder Woman as well. So, you know, I was kind of just kind of in the wind. But um, but it all worked out. And, uh, you know, and we got to do Wonder Woman. And then from there, it made sense to, you know, kind of do something else and then work with uh, Brian Vaughn on Paper Girls. And, and then after that, felt like it was time to, you know, kind of, you know, spread my wings a little bit and, and try my hand at writing. So to kind of play with the timeline a little bit. So the Wonder Woman, the Wonder Woman run you did with Azarello, that actually came after the Batman pitch mm -hmm. that you guys originally had. Okay. I, I'm just yeah. now realizing how long ago that actually was now. <laughs> wow. So, so yeah. Black Label was supposed to happen way back then. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, for some of us who, um, for some of us who, uh, or for the listeners rather who might not know, can you share a little bit of what that original uh, pitch was that you guys had? Uh, yeah, I mean it. It was trying to to kind of you know do a sort of neo noir take on Batman, um, almost a year one kind of thing where you know we're seeing a very young Bruce Wayne learn how to be Batman. And that included him kind of running around mm -hmm. with guns, trying to fight crime in a Gotham city that's a little bit more like um, 1940s Los Angeles. And um, so, uh, you know, as Arella liked to say, like it made more sense because you'd actually need a car. You'd actually need a Batmobile in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it would, you know, there was a version of the Joker there who... Um, is initially um, pretty friendly with uh, with Bruce Wayne, but then comes becomes kind of his opposite number after you know getting involved with 
um, some drug cartels and, and, and uh, you know, and it was just kind of a, a different look at the mythos, um, you know, from this neo-noir um, perspective. And, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. And, and, you know, I had a lot of potential. That sounds amazing. Hopefully we get to see that someday. Yeah, maybe you never know. <laughs> the, the, they're they're putting out every other Batman book, so why, why not? Yeah. yeah, I always think it's interesting when some writer or artist comes up with some new way to tell Batman stories. And yeah, I'm really interested in that a lot. So come on, DC. Yeah. How yeah. did uh, how did you come around to getting uh, this Catwoman book happening? Uh, did was this something that that you pitched to them, or uh, did they were they looking for you to do something? They were looking for me to just you know pitch anything uh, to them. Really, uh, I had been approached by by the editors, and they asked me, you know, what's your you know we'd love to see your new frontier. What is it? You know. And, um, you know, I thought about Darwin Cook's New Frontier and like how sprawling it was and how it just, you know, it was everything in the DCU and kind of encompassed like all of Darwin's love for those characters and his vision for them, you know. And, you know, I, I took that and, and I was so flattered by, you know, um, the offer, you know, just the idea of like them, me, them wanting me to do something as big and epic. And, I was like, I don't have anything for you, but give me a few months and I'll come up with something. Okay. And I, I was racking my brain for a few months, you know, at the same time, you know, working on a, you know, more or less a monthly book. Um, but, you know, I realized I didn't have the knowledge of the DCU, like the deeper, you know, knowledge of all those characters. And and so my, as much as I like them, you know, like I didn't have that, like it, it didn't, grab me you know the the dcu didn't grab the whole dcu didn't grab me the same way you know uh, it clearly did with with uh with darwin so i i thought well may i need to do something smaller you know i need to do something a little bit more intimate that you know speaks to my interests in in characters and you know thinking about um you know i, I like batman uh, you know i like gotham city and just trying to think within that universe what makes sense and, you know, I also thought, well, you know, it'd be cool to do something like a Wonder Woman war story and, you know, in World War II, that kind of thing. And, um, but, you know, having just come off Wonder Woman just felt like too on the nose, you know, and, uh, and I got to thinking about what, um, you know, about trying to do something for a larger audience. Uh, I, I think one of the cool things about Black Label is that it's not driven by continuity in the same way so you can hand one of these books to you know somebody and and they can read it and get into it and 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 love it the same way um so i started thinking a lot about it and i realized like catwoman is such a great recognizable character that in a lot of ways is kind of a blank slate for most people you know all you really need to know about her is that she's a cat burglar she wears a cat costume and sometimes she's batman's girlfriend you know, like the, like that's the level of knowledge that most people have about Catwoman. And that's all you kind of need. And then you can go from, you can build from there. And uh, so, um, you know, I thought that was interesting. And going back to um, New Frontier, it, it made me think about Darwin's work. And then I realized, you know, that Darwin and, and Ed Brubaker, you know, they had rebooted 
um, Catwoman in 2002 and it had been, you know, quite a few years, uh, you know, and that since then, and it just got me thinking like, what happens, you know, like, what would that character be like, um, you know, 20 years older and, and what if she was in a world that looked more like ours? Um, so uh, in a way it's, you know, kind of in, inspired by something like Dark Knight Returns, but the goal is to look at it from a different perspective, from the, the, the stories of the characters that aren't the titans, you know, the, 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 the smaller people, the, you know, the smaller folk and, and the side characters. Um, and in this case, you know, the, the anti-heroes and supervillains um, of those stories and see how they move on from, from you know, where they were, you know, from the way that we know them, you know, in their youth, um, you know, and what's find out what their second act is, you know, when they've been told that they can't do, you know, that, that there's no more superheroes or supervillains in Gotham City. So, um, you know, yeah, a lot of it's about moving on from, you know, at, because life changes. Wow. I love the, um, we're going to go spoilers here, right, guys? Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I think that I, I, it's awesome that I think this book is in uh, Black Label because it does give you the freedom to kind of do what you want. It's very genius that you put it so many years in the future, which gives you a lot of time to play with. And it's so far ahead that, you know, I don't think you have to worry about like, oh, but this happened like five years ago. Um, when you know the funny thing, actually, let me let me stop you for a second. Um, I actually think about it being now, like part like part of me wanted to call when I came up with the idea, I wanted to call it Catwoman 2020, um, mm. because a lot of the issues and a lot of the things that are in there are are actually things that we see today. There's nothing any anything that's really that far fetched. Um, the I have a weird like continuity of my own in my head where Batman appears in Gotham City in 1987 you know, when year one happens and then the timeline goes from there and all the stories that have happened since then are still part of the continuity and the same thing with Catwoman. So, you know, if you put Batman at age 25 in 1987, then he's going to be 59 roughly, you know, he would be 59. And if Catwoman's a little younger than him, then she'd be 55, you know, that's awesome. So it's kind of like just this living thing where we, I, I want to embrace as much of the continuity as possible without referring to it and without like, you know, cutting anything out and, and hopefully not like deliberately uh, contradicting anything. Um, but one of the things that I love about superheroes is this long publishing history where you, you know, you have so much um, love for these characters and a familiarity with them that, you know, when you see different costumes and you see different versions of them, you like, it takes you back. And um, part of me wants to play with that as a way of implying time and age and, and, you know, moving and moving through time. So. Yeah. It's um, it, I think it's difficult. Like, like you were saying, um, how do you make something fresh? How do you make something uh, different and new when it's, you know, it's got so much lore behind it, but I'm always down for like a dead Batman. I'm always down for, <laughs> you know, things I like breaking the rules, you know, the, Oh, Batman yeah. should not be anyone, but Bruce Wayne, Batman can't die. Batman. Yeah. You know, whatever. Like I, the, the, the stories I feel like that have been uh, pretty memorable recently have been all the ones that break the rules and step outside of that um, accepted 
uh, rule book. And, you know, um, I'm glad that I didn't read anything prior to this. I didn't read a synopsis. I didn't look at any artwork. Mm. I'm literally like read it fresh and just opened it up. And I was like, oh yeah, this is, I'm all about, this is completely different than what I was expecting it would be. Yeah. And like, I'm ready for something like this, you know, something different. And um, I think that um, readers might not know they want that, but that it is, it's different and it's awesome because it's so different and you're Thanks. going in a place that hasn't been done before. And it's um, exciting to see um, that being said is, is it, did you get any pushback from the things that you presented whether it was timeline, whether it was like breaking those quote unquote rules, did you get any kind of notes that you feel like you had to compromise or were you pretty much given some freedom? No, they were down for it. Um, you know, I think uh, it was part of the pitch, you know, where it was, you know, Gotham City has been so defined by this, you know, th- by Batman, Commissioner Gordon and the Joker and like the, the relationship between those three you know, has really defined like how Gotham exists, you know, like if Commissioner Gordon is able to, you know, really handle all the crime in the city and, and all the corruption in the police force, then you don't need Batman, you know, and then like, and with the Joker in there, like it's sort of the, the way that they relate to each other has kept that dynamic in Gotham going. And what happens when you take them out? You know, what happens to the city then, you know, and that vacuum is where, um, you know, Harvey Dent comes in. And, and after the tragedy of, of Fool's Night, um, actually, if, if people aren't familiar with the book, I can just give like a quick uh, synopsis here, which is after 10 years in prison, Selena Kyle has returned to Gotham City. Um, and her plan is to break into the Batcave in order to solve the mystery of Batman's dying words. Um, so the, uh, Harvey Dent is the mayor and the city is, you know, heavily policed, um, by cops wearing Batman gear, um, all because of an incident called fool's night, which, you know, um, claimed the lives of Batman and Joker and, and commissioner Gordon primarily, um, and kind of was, you'll see, you see more of it in issue two, uh, but it's, you know, this event that to me um, was uh, meant to be something that really just changed how the city, the the fabric of the city, where after this night, you couldn't trust your neighbors. You you know, there was just a lot of fear in the city um, because, uh, because of what happened. And, you know, to me, uh, I was, you know, after 9-11 being in New York, you know, you would always see, um, um, you know, army personnel with, with guns on the streets and, you know, this weird contradictory feeling where, you know, that they're supposed to make you feel more safe by having, you know, this presence, but at the same time, it just, it, it doesn't, it, it, you know, it just kind of reminds you of how fragile, um, you know, that, that security is. So I, I wanted to take a look at Gotham as if it were a modern city and that, you know, um, and to me, that's New York, you know, where, where I live and, you know, and to have Gotham city reflect my reality, my lived reality, you know, in New York city. I like the idea of having uh, Batman out of the picture because it gives, 
Selena uh, an independence to, to have mm-hmm. her own story play out because yeah. in, the, in the regular situation, okay, Selena has, you know, whatever she's gotten involved with in Gotham City. Well, if anything really gets too bad and she needs help, Batman's going to step in and help her. This takes that away and now she, she's completely independent to just, you know, it, it's all on her now. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think if he were alive, you'd always wonder about when he's going to step in. When does he show up, you know, and and part of me wanted to do this to show literally like an independent Selena where, you know, like, let's look at her as a character. Let's let's and and, you know, Batman's um, influence kind of hangs over the whole story. But, um, you know, she's there trying to figure out the way maybe the city is, you know, the way everybody is, you know, what is life without Batman? What is Gotham city without Batman? You know, is kind of the big question um, for um, a lot of the characters. So uh, taking him, you know, taking him out of the picture was just the easiest way to kind of set those parameters and, and kind of, I think in some ways tell the audience that kind of anything could happen at this point now, you know, um, it's like the, you know, the, the gloves are off and, and, you know, who, who knows, you know, if, if Batman can die, then anybody can. And, and we get to see, uh, this different state of Gotham, uh, but by book two, for sure, uh, we won't go so far as spoiling things in book two, but we do get to see, uh, what comes of characters we know in this Gotham that mm-hmm. no longer includes a Batman. Yeah, there's so many great characters in Gotham. It's such a great rogues gallery. And, you know, trying to, you know, imagine where they'd be if they couldn't do what they were doing, you know. Um, uh, Killer Croc, you know, is such a, a great um, visual character. And, like, you know, and it's and it's so fun to see him, you know, just, uh, just as in regular books, just, you know, as this monstrous being and then you're like well like what if we look at him like he's a you know like a pro football player what happens when he's older and not you know and not able to you know get the same exercise and and he's not you know and and crime is 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 so out you know super crime is so outlawed that he's got no work you know and then he's taken too many hits so you know what happens to that guy and you know to really suddenly you know this that character becomes like much more relatable and you, you realize like, yeah, even a guy like killer croc is going to have problems paying the bills and, you know, and problems with, you know, his, you know, you know, he's got CTE, you know, and, you know, and, and it, it just, I want to bring like, like superhero stuff can be so great because it's larger than life. And at the same time, you can, that can get away from you where you can't relate to those characters anymore. So, part of what I wanted to do was bring it all down to a very relatable level, but at the same time, keep it poignant and, and, and interesting. Yeah. I wanted to jump in before um, just starting to read this story. Um, the vibe that I got piggyback to what you were saying before is you've made these characters vulnerable. And the fact that this book came out this year, reflecting on what we've all been through last year um, is very fitting through the environment mm-hmm through kind of just trying to get that sense of normalcy back, you know, Selena's back after 10 years, she can't even get into her own penthouse. 
she sneaks through the top. So it's like, that's like representative of she's just trying to get back to zero and just kind of get a piece of her life and everything's in shambles. Um, the cur- She has, you know, the currency is different. She has, you know, very little money, um, you know, down to, um, you know, it, it kind of has that year one vibe because she's trying to relearn and she, you know, she uses that reference of muscle memory that you had her say, and she's trying to just get back to normal and she can't. So uh, the artwork is great. There's like these beautiful homages to um, like the animated series that I love so much and just down to the covers. I mean, I'm really excited to get these covers and you have that torn, um, mask and you have all these little homages to different versions of Catwoman that we all grew up loving so I can definitely see what you were a fan of and your sense of storytelling just really set the tone even down to like the colors of the beginning once you see the those bat cops and you see that emotion of what she's feeling through through the sense of color yeah thanks it's uh you know there's so much I mean you know it's been years and years of great comics and, and and animation you know and and trying to you know kind of cherry pick the stuff that you love um and and put it in there and, and hopefully get some of that feeling too you know like i know um you know a lot of that stuff is you know easter eggs and if you see it and, and appreciate it that's great and if you don't get it that's cool too it's not like a like an integral part of the story but i think it, it's a lot about the feel of it where you know I think when you see all those things, um, there's a sense of history, you know, that, that comes through and, um, you know, and at the same time, you know, you, you can, you can do that. And then you can also bring in the new stuff. So it's a lot of times it's a big, it's a, it's a delicate balancing act, you know, where it's like, what can I do that feels new and different? And then what can I do that, you know, is a fun nod to, to things. Right. And like you said before, like it gives someone an opportunity that maybe has never really read Catwoman. They can mm-hmm. jump into your story, but someone that's been a fan for all these years can jump in and start really doing a deep dive of, of your visuals and your storytelling. So it's one of those happy mediums that anyone could really enjoy it. And the fact that it's on Black Label, it doesn't connect to any other storyline. So, yeah. Yeah. It was, it's, uh, you know that that is one of the the coolest things about black labels you know they just from the get-go they're just like do what you want to do it doesn't need to connect to anything it's better if it doesn't you know um let's let's you know let's do the coolest book possible and get it out to the widest audience possible in a format that feels different that feels you know fresh and um you know and have it be this self-contained story that you know that we can you know, that you can hand to somebody who's, who's never read a comic before or hand to somebody who's only watched the movies, you know, and, and say, you know, I think you'll like this. Yeah. I think this is going to be a perfect, like uh, whenever you have a hard time trying to recommend something to someone who's not really a comic reader, it's always like, well, like I could give them Batman or Grant Morrison's Batman and they could spend like eight years trying to figure that out. But the best is the things that you can give them that they can like, take bites out of, you know, and, and uh, I feel like this is going to get people to want to read even more Catwoman Mm. or, or something similar, you know, like Steve was saying, um, 
it's just such a great concept and a, a great idea for, for you to want more and dive deeper. Um, when you were talking about your pitch for the Batman story, um, I love that pitch and it sounds, I, I got a lot of like Chinatown Jack Nicholson vibes yeah. uh, off of yeah. that, like, you know, off that story. And uh, after poking that around um, this Catwoman story feels like that uh, similar, like that noir you know, uh, element of um, there's a, there's a crime or there's something that has to be solved. And now it's interesting that Selena now has to become the detective yeah, and she's unwillingly having to solve the crime or she's having to solve a puzzle now that normally that would be Batman's job. Mm -hmm. And so you're putting her in a position that she's uncomfortable with. And like, um, it's genius because as you're kind of flipping through the pages and you're seeing, okay, she's past her prime, her knees don't work. She has back spasms. Oh, by the way, this like these final words are haunting her and she has to figure out what it meant. And it's all these things like her back's against the wall now where uh, she's completely out of her element as far as her comfort level. And so you're kind of forcing her to do something that she's not used to or not wanting to. So um, what what was what is the inspiration as far as like um, that kind of character plot or that, that like little uh, plot element right there? Yeah, it's just um, you want real stakes, you know, uh, and and what I think is really interesting is, you know, for someone like um, Selena, you know, she doesn't have superpowers, you know, it, it's not, um, you know, and, and those, you know, can sometimes make it hard to tell a story, you know, like it's hard to tell like a Superman story uh, sometimes, you know, because of his abilities. So they end up turning it into more of like a moral story. And you know, a moral challenge. And, and um, you know, with Selena, you know, she's in a very weird place. You know, she's been in prison for 10 years. She hasn't moved on, whereas everybody else in the world has. And so coming out of it, she's very much a fish out of water. Um, you know, she's come back to a city that's totally different and everyone has, has adapted to that, but she can't, you know, for a lot of reasons, you know. And, and, um, so, and you know, so giving her you know, this challenge of trying to solve the mystery, to trying to break into the Batcave. So, you know, it's a heist and at the same time, it's a mystery and um, and it's tied up with, you know, uh, you know, with this kind of romance story as well of like, you know, what could have been between her and Batman. So, um, you know, it's a lot of things at once, but having all that come in means like a, you're putting all that pressure on one nail head, you know, and, and that's when something, that's when cool stuff happens, you know? So uh, for Selena, you know, you don't know how she's going to react because she's such a gray character, you know? Um, is she a villain or is she kind of an anti-hero or is she really kind of just a reluctant hero, you know? Um, you know, it, I'm not sure she knows what the answer to that is, but um, she has to find her way, you know, through that. And, and, um, you know, I think, you know, and watching it happen, um, you know, is, is interesting. Is, um, someone, I don't want to interrupt anybody. Oh, you go go ahead. Ahead. I was going to say, um, there's a, there's been a couple of different artists or writers who like when they have this idea or when they're starting something fresh or new, um, they kind of like will flip through some of their favorite stuff to just kind of like get the juices flowing for inspiration. Yeah. Was there anything that like you like pulled out 
uh, from the shelf that you kind of flip through or just kind of reread to kind of get you pumped up and just get in the, in the mindset of that? Yeah. I mean, I definitely re, you know, I mean, I, I've read Batman year one so many times, <laughs> you know, like it, it's, it's like the Bible, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, that, you know, and then really broke down uh, Dark Knight Returns, um, you know, the, you know, like on a, on a structural level, like I wanted to see how it worked and what the beats were and like how it moves from one act to another. Um, so I did a real deep dive on that. Uh, you know, I, I went back and read, you know, um, some really old Catwoman stuff. Um, you know, I've been looking at, you know, and then visually looking at, um, different different books uh you know uh, i'm trying to think um what the the artist's name is it'll come to me i'll mention it I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it later but uh you know it's there's i don't know there's so much good stuff out there that you know you you want to try and figure out what makes it work and what's good about it and then do your spin on it you know it, it's not just about you know doing homages uh to things but I think by its nature, this book is in dialogue uh, with the, you know, with certain classic Batman stories. And uh, what's important is, you know, how it really, where it connects, but also where it's different, you know, and, um, you know, and I think this taking a look at, you know, the, the more, uh, the lesser known characters or the, the less, you know, not, not the, a-list justice league types um you know automatically makes for uh an interesting read it's sort of like um you know i i think about these characters almost like like actors too you know like character actors great character actors who are just getting older and then what what you know what kind of roles do they end up playing you know and um you know versus like you know your a-list uh you know action stars you know so I think you can get, you know, uh, unexpected results, you know, out of following, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the character guys, the character actors. And that, you know, you made a good point right there, you know, talking about aging actors and stuff like that. And first person that came to mind was like Jennifer Aniston. Mm-hmm. And when she was young, she was, funny and and friends and everything like that but now recently in movies she's kind of taken a twist and almost uh caricature of herself you know with like roles in horrible bosses and we're the millers and things like that it's kind of like the anti-hero type of bad girl role right and you can do that here with catwoman where you've kind of flipped the script with her a little bit where she's the detective is she a hero or is she not a hero or she's trying to find out what makes gotham work and what what um what they need to do to answer this uh this mystery that you've created um i have a question because i'm kind of taking a little intro to creative writing class and i know that as an interior artist you've read tons of scripts and your background with dc and some of the editorial um how was it going from an artist to now being the one writing the script did you come up with a or did you see a new perspective or 
new appreciation or did you, was it just pretty seamless because you've done so much? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I was very uh, nervous about doing it. Like I, I, I felt confident that I could do it, but like at the same time, I'm very aware of the fact that, you know, there are lots of places you can go wrong. And, you know, I was very careful about the writing process, you know, like I did a very thorough outline that, that I then expanded upon as a beat sheet, you know, and then turned into um, kind of a script breakdown where I would know that, you know, this paragraph is two pages, you know, and, mm. and made sure that it fit into the, the page counts that I had. Um, so I, I was super, you know, like I've read and read over and rewritten this story like so many times. Um, but there's a benefit to that where you just keep fractionally like honing, you know, honing it each time where you're like, oh, that works. And you know what would be cool if I added this thing, because that'll relate to the scene in the next book, you know, and it all becomes more of a whole, like everything starts to fit together tighter and tighter and more solid. So, um, I appreciated having the time. Uh, I appreciated my editors having the patience and 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 also pointing out, you know, the uh, you know the places where I went wrong. So uh, all of that led to it being, you know, a much tighter story than than I would be able to do, you know, normally. I, I have a ton of respect for anybody who does this on a monthly, uh, you know, pace because that's that's insane. I think that's just crazy, you know. And I think. Um, I think you can get there, you know, with the experience, just your innate story sense kind of leads you through there. But for me, you know, uh, this felt like, you know, knowing it's a, it's a short, it's four issues, you know, it'll be about 200 pages or whatever. Like that's a, that's a graphic novel. That's a story mm -hmm. with a beginning, middle and end. So you need to plan it out a little bit more. I love, you know, having spent, you know, so many years before that working on, books, uh, you know, and something like Wonder Woman, which is longer, you know, you're kind of, in some ways you have a roadmap, you're also flying by the seat of your pants and, and that's exciting. And you're making it up as you go along to some degree. And that's cool too, because when you do that, you make different connections that you didn't see at the beginning. Um, so it ends up being just a different way of creating art. So uh, I like both styles for me, you know, not, I don't, feel like I have, um, you know, I'm not familiar enough with the process that I want to just jump into doing a monthly book or something like that. And I, and I like, I love things that are really considered, you know, and, and so when my hope is that when you read this, you see, like you're, you, you're pulled through it and it's a smooth read, but if you reread it, you start to see how the pieces fit together, you know, like little things here and there, a piece of dialogue, a detail in the background, like nothing really is in there by chance, you know, because I've had this, um, you know, this amount of time to go over and make sure that it all is meaningful. Cool. So like as the writer and the artist at the same time, were you submitting both script and art pages at the same time or just script first and then start with the art? Yeah. I know there are some artists who, who writer artists who work that way. I, I never, um, could figure that out. Um, so I, I actually wrote a full script, you know, with knowing that, you know, if I needed to change it, you know, visually I could, and I did a bunch of times, you know, where yeah. it's just, oh no way, I need another panel here, or that's not good. I'm going to move that over to this page. Um, so 
you know, you, you just have to be kind of flexible enough to adapt, you know, uh, when you see something wrong, but, uh, but I enjoy having the full script because you read it and you get a sense of what the story is and, and you see, it's like having a blueprint, you know, right. for, for the comic, um, if you do it right, you know. Cool. Thanks. Now, yes. uh, what's it like having the freedom to be on a black label book and be treating the characters with, uh, I guess you're not trapped with the standard sort of ratings, you know, with what you mm -hmm. can and can't have characters say or do. Again, I don't want to spoil things, but in the second book, there's a very well a, a very well known character that says what I think is my new favorite line that the character has ever said in any comic. But uh, it, you, you <laughs> definitely couldn't have have said it in a regular comic. I, right. I think you might know what I'm talking about, but uh, yeah. What, what do you take a, a lot of advantage of having that, that kind of freedom where you're not uh, kind of bound in by what's acceptable in the, the, the standard issues? Yeah. I mean, I think where, you know, on one level, like just story wise, you can go to places, right. And that's mostly what we've been talking about, you know, with black label, you, you can go to these unexpected you know, or undis, you know, unexamined corners, you know, um, but um, visually and with dialogue, I think you can also push that, you know, and, and it's, you know, this is meant for an older audience. And I love, um, I love sharp dialogue and I try my best to, to write some and it's, uh, you know, but it's, you know, I think being in the city and, and maybe it's just my friends, but, you know, people, often um you you want to use profanity really well you know <laughs> you want it to land you know uh you, you look at someone like david simon you know and the wire and like how you know or deadwood and and how or the sopranos and how like every time someone throws you know throws down you know the f word or something you know it it, it lands because it's funny and because it's at the it's paced well you know there's a there's a real like rhythm to it um so i love these characters being able to again reflect our reality you know when you're just talking with your friends you know you're nobody's that um that careful and 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 it's funnier because of it and and i wanted you know that's just a part of life and i wanted to you know have that level of i don't know verisimilitude maybe um or just familiarity you know like when the characters have good dialogue you recognize that as you recognize them as people you know right and 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 that's that's always good for the story excuse me cliff this is the yes. the grumpler um what was that word you just used <laughs> uh verisimilitude yeah yeah that just one. trying to be true life you know yeah, because I know nobody on here knows how that means. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was a, that was a definite $5 word. <laughs> Speak for yourself, you uncultured swine. That was, a, that was a vocabulary term in school. I remember it quite well. How dare you? Spell it, Tom. <laughs> Verse plus military. I was like, I, I never heard any, anybody from Brooklyn use that word. Like, oh, <laughs> Fuck out of here. <laughs> But yeah, the, the moment in question that I was referring to, it it, uh, it just really rang through with the character, you know, that everyone will see it when they get to issue two, but there's a line that the character says that when I read that line, like, yep, 
that explains it. Mm. <laughs> if it's anything as good as I love you 3000, I think I'll, uh, I'll be happy. <laughs> so. Cliff, um, what would you say if you could cast this book as a movie, mm. um, who would you cast as your Catwoman? Oh, first of all, uh, can I just uh, give, can I just say, um, I love hating this penguin. Um, <laughs> I think ma- making him like with that silver hair makes him even like more disdainful as a character. And, and um, you really nailed the rich douchebag aspect of him uh, when, when Selena comes to ask him for the money that she is owed. And he's like, sorry, the government took it as if he doesn't have that, as if he doesn't have money to give her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Well, who's cheaper than rich people, right? You know? Yeah. You, I, 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 yeah, that, that was a great, uh, in that first, uh, in the first book, that was great interaction with Penguin. Um, and I'll leave it to the reader to enjoy what ends up happening when that back and forth. But uh, yeah, if you, if you could cast, you know, your Catwoman, uh, your Harvey Dent, uh, your Croc, your Penguin, who would you say, like, who do you have in mind when you're drawing these characters, writing these characters? Like, who do you think would nail it? Yeah, you know, it's, that's always tough. Um because you know in your head you kind of see all these different actors and you're kind of taking you know bits and pieces from them all um you know the funny thing is you know i've thought about it just because it's it's a fun kind of thought experiment but it's like who couldn't you cast uh you know as selena like there's so many incredibly talented actors who are in their 50s and there just aren't roles for them you know and uh, you know, you, you, you really have your pick uh, of like, you know, Oscar winners, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, that's part of the, the commentary here is that, you know, you know, if, you know, if, if Selena were a dude that, you know, people wouldn't think of her as being washed up, you know, like they would just be, scared of her coming out you know coming out of prison you know but instead it's like oh you know people are underestimating her and um so you know yeah that's there's a lot of different um people i think you can kind of you know you could see i think you see certain actors or mannerisms or or just characters that 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 come through uh you know when they're talking uh, you know part of it in a way like Harvey Dent almost feels like the animated version. Like I hear his voice in my yeah. head too, but then at the same time, I also see like different actors and, and, and Croc, like I, I have no idea who could play Croc. It'd be, it'd be a pretty good role though. Um. <laughs> Lawrence Taylor. Right. <laughs> LT baby. What Tom's really asking Jack. is, could you see Jennifer Lopez being Catwoman? That's really what he's asking. I totally could, actually. That would be awesome. That would be really, really great. I don't know if she's washed up enough, though, man. Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's she's like in her prime. I know. Yeah. See if Madonna actually takes the role. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, yeah. did you see oh, her interview? Down again? Yeah. yeah. He has bad knees. Yep. Yep. For sure. <laughs> I saw um, when they were, when, when, uh, before they, before, you know, uh, they made the last few Snyder films. Um, 
I saw people constantly tagging uh, the the actress who plays Cersei from Game of Thrones, Lena mm-hmm. Lena Headey. Yeah, and she naturally she she cuts her hair short and and dyes it black, and so like she looks fantastic for an aged Catwoman, and uh, definitely has the attitude for it. She yeah, can definitely pull that off for sure. And uh, you know who else is interesting? I saw a while back. Um, I. I don't know if it was just in response to a tweet or something but both ben affleck and Zack snyder were addressing who they thought would make a good selena for bruce's ben and they were both saying carla gugino oh yeah 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 Yeah. for sure definitely and how funny is it that we saw these actors and actresses both like that we've been watching back when they were playing the young you know they were they were the young hot characters in movies and now we're seeing them playing like the the parents in in movies now like right yeah yeah so i mean look we're just in in like two minutes we've got like three great you know candidates (laughs) you know really who couldn't you you know and and you could even like go you know crazier it's like wow you know could you get michelle pfeiffer to play you know who knows yeah or you know or holly berry you know like it mm-hmm. could be anybody <laughs> you know because it's it's such there's so much like you know acting talent out there and and so many great actresses that are just being under underutilized my votes for ava green <clears throat> yeah uh-huh. yeah see you <laughs> I'm I'm googling pictures of Courtney Cox and I'm like uh, I'm be a little too washed up. You know what? When when I saw that variant cover with the blue eyes, yeah, kind of uh, her face kind of uh, came to my sure. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Um, Cliff, I have a question. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering, like, has this book allowed you to, you know, uh speak like in your native language that you grew up hearing and and speaking you know using words and phrases and tones that you you know grew up using like is is does that come out for you in the in in the book yeah i think i think so and if not like if not necessarily like how I grew up or, or, you know, it's, it's like the the other media that I like, you know, Um, you know, it's, there's a certain amount of, um, you know, just other shows and, 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 you know, the dialogue and, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, uh, certain crime movies, you know, like the, you know, like, like stuff like out of sight, you know, Soderbergh yeah. again like you know the, in a way like this series is like a Soderbergh love letter too <laughs> you know it's a little bit Ocean's Eleven it's a little bit out of sight it's a little bit the limey um, <laughs> and you know just you know and also something like um, Thief by Michael Mann you know uh, like there are all these different pieces of art that I like that you know i i would love to see that i cast on you know on superheroes and and that's mm-hmm. what i'm trying to do here is like you know just you know bring that sensibility to it uh as well as i can very cool yeah those those are some heavy hitting directors and i think if anybody wants kind of a, an idea of the flavor of the book 
if you're if you're referencing those directors, it's going in a cool direction for sure. <laughs> so, Guys, I just found the perfect casting for Catwoman. Who oh, you got? All right. Bridget Nielsen, the Russian's wife in Rocky IV. Bridget Nielsen? All right. <laughs> She's 58. Perfect. Okay. She's like 6'2", <laughs> isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> She's pretty tall. She's like 6-something. Yeah. She'd probably have bad knees then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that tall. Okay, so Cliff, we usually like to lead off episodes with this, but I think I was just a little eager to jump into your current stuff here. But I would like to get into your origin story uh, so like, yeah. What was your inspiration? Like, what grabbed you and pulled you into uh, the road that led you to art? Like, was there something that that you saw that you thought, "Oh, I, I want to do that"? And and how did that bring yeah. you to to the path that you got on? You know, I there were always I was aware of comics at a young age, but we didn't have them around the house. Um, you know, I went over to like a family friend's house and then they were on, you know, some, somebody had them on the table. It's like an issue of Iron Man or something like that, you know? And, and the guy was, you know, I was like, I don't know, six or seven or something like that, you know? And, and the guy who owned it, you know, he was like an older um, kid uh, in, in my head, you know, he was like, he was like an adult, but he was probably like 15 or something, you know? Um, and I was, I was looking at it and I said, you know, Oh, um, cause it was kind of a low key party and, and like nothing was happening. So I wanted, I'd always drawn, you know, as a kid and I was like, Oh, can I, can I have this, you know, to, to go draw with, you know? And he's like, and he thought I meant like, can I have it, have it. <laughs> and he was like, all right. And then, you know, so I took it and like, was, you know, just drawing Iron Man, you know, trying to trace it and copy it on another piece of paper. And then I gave it back to him and he was like, oh, I thought, you know, you like you wanted to keep this or whatever. I was like, no, I mean, I just, you know, but I really loved looking at the pictures. Um, a few years later, my brother started bringing comics home, um, you know, X-Men and Fantastic Four and stuff like that. And it really, I fell in love with it then, you know, it's like John Byrne and Paul Smith and, and um, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I was 10, you know, so like that stuff really hits you pretty hard at that age. Uh, and I read comics for a few years, and, but that was also when the direct market started um, taking over. So I wasn't finding comics as uh, readily at like the 7-Eleven, you know, um, so, you know, I was missing issues, you know, like things would come in. I didn't know when, you know, what you know, what day of the month or, or when the new books were coming in. So like, I would miss out on stuff all the time and, you know, and, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't know how a story ended. Um, and then, you know, the direct market um, kind of took over. And so you had to go to a comic shop and there wasn't one in my town. So it meant that like someone had to drive me to it, you know, and then, you know, so it just ended up, you know, just, uh, not reading as much occasionally I would you know some books I would get through a subscription you know from from Marvel um but you know that kind of you know limited you couldn't subscribe to everything you know and and you kind of just lose touch with a lot of like the rest of the the universe and and you know I, I gave it up probably you know when I hit high school but when I was in college I got back into it because I just had more free time I had a little you know pocket money and comic stores were all over the place in, in, um, you know, in college towns. So uh, I got to get back into it. And then 
what caught my eye then was like all the vertigo stuff, Hellblazer and Sandman, um, you know, and indie books like, you know, Love and Rockets and, and, and Madman, um, stuff like The Crow, you know, like it was just, you know, I was like 18, 19. And like this stuff was, you know, just fascinating to me and seeing the possibilities, you know, if you're only familiar with, you know, superhero comics, uh, once you start reading this other stuff, you're, you know, your mind is blown because it's just, oh, suddenly there's all these other different kinds of stories you can tell, you know, and, and not that you didn't think it was possible, but you just hadn't read them, you know, so it really got me excited about comics again, and made me want to tell stories. And, you know, I thought for a little while that maybe I wanted to get into film, uh, become a filmmaker, but it always kind of came back to comics and being able to control that and, and do present this personal vision, you know, uh, on the page. So, you know, I, by the time I graduated, I knew I wanted to work in comics if I could. And luckily I, you know, I know I knew I wanted to draw comics, but for me, you know, just being in the industry was more important because I didn't know if I was going to be able to, make it as an artist you know um especially when you're starting out you know everyone's just so rough usually and and mine and i was no exception so uh luckily i was able to get in and and work with um you know a couple different um publishers i worked first with heidi mcdonald at disney adventures where i learned you know how a comic gets put together on in you know disney adventures magazine there was like 20 pages a month um you know with different rotating teams so i got to get a sense of how comics teams work together, you know? And at that time also they started reprinting Bone um, in Disney Adventures, which was super cool. And I got to talk to Jeff Smith and got to see this colorized version of Bone um, come to life. And after that, I, mean, I did that for like a year or so and then um, started working at, uh, at Vertigo after that as an assistant editor, which was super cool. I got to see the, you know, the be in the DC offices and get to know all the editors and see how um, the sausage is made, you know, just talking with artists and writers and letterers and colorists all the time and seeing, you know, making sure everybody is working all the time and, and you're just juggling a lot of different schedules at once. And it was incredibly good training for me to go freelance later and understand how my work affects other people. If I'm late, then somebody else is going to get you know, screwed, you know, and can't do their best work. So it really kind of hammers into you this idea that, you know, it, it's a, it's a waterfall, you know. And so does I, that I did sort that of, for, oh, sorry, I was just going to ask, saying, does, a, yeah. does that uh, editorial experience sort of give you uh, any advantage, like when it comes to a point where you're pitching something? Uh, so do you sort of know what they want to hear now because you've been on the other side? Right. Um, no, <laughs> I mean, it sort of does, but like at the same time, like, you know, when it's your own stuff, it's really hard to be objective about it. And that's almost what being a professional is, is like doing it enough times so that you can be professional, that you, your level of taste kind of is up, your, your execution is up to your level of taste. And, and, and a lot of times when you're starting out, you know, you don't know, you're proud that you did something, that you wrote something, that you drew something, but like, you know, you, it's hard to not see it through the lens of like, I did this and I love it. You know, like you, you have to 
think like, well, what is somebody else going to get out of it? You know, what are they going to take away from it? So it, it is hard. Um, but I feel like the most important thing anybody doing something creative uh, can have is good friends, good, honest friends who know what they're talking about. And, you know, having art friends that you can show art to and having friends who are writers that you can show your writing to and, and try and get some reactions, you know, and they, you don't have to agree with them, you know, because sometimes people, not everybody knows how to give criticism too, you know, um, but you want to see where they're coming from, you know, like, well, what did they want out of this story? Is that because of something that I did that I set up an expectation for them? Or is that just their own interest that, that they're bringing to play? Um, so it, uh, you know, I wish in some ways, yeah, I know what a pitch looks like, <laughs> you know, I've read a bunch and, 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 and I know the ones that were really good and the ones that made it through, but we, you know, when you're writing your own somehow, you know, you've, you've, um, you know, it's, uh, it's harder, it's harder to be objective about your own stuff for sure. I didn't mean to uh, derail the, uh, the story with that. It just, uh, occurred to me. Yeah, no, no, not at all. It's, uh, it, it you know, um, so you, when you I was at Vertigo, spending that time at, at editorial. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, I was stuff. there for two years and then, and then decided at, after two years, you know, I was, the day job was being at DC and the, at, at night I would go home and just work on drawing and, you know, and it just, it was hard, you know, you, I, I wanted to do more work, do more comics work while I was at DC, but you just, you know, drawing any sort of comic on a, on a schedule is difficult when you can only do it half of the time. So, you know, there was the only, it meant I could only do short things while I was on staff. And eventually I realized if I'm going to do this, I have to leave. And, you know, so after two years, I, you know, I kind of went, you know, on my own and, you know, I, I was so grateful that I had made good contacts there and people were willing to hire me for, for short stories. And so slowly you build up your, your resume, your, your portfolio, and, you know, and you get, you start doing longer and longer work. So um, it's, it was a process. It was in, you know, kind of a long process, but I don't, you know, I don't think I could have fast forwarded through any of it. Very cool. Uh, now, I did touch on this earlier. I want to talk a little bit about it, not not just because it's uh, it's being adapted by Amazon right now, but because it's so good, uh, and it's you know jumping a lot of time from where we just left off. But how did uh, you come into this situation of doing something you know with you know this guy who's you know he's written a few things over the years that that people have enjoyed a little bit. Maybe you've heard of Brian K. Vaughn. But how does that come about that uh, you do what what turns out to be such a good project with Brian? Yeah, just pure luck in a lot of ways. Um, one of the earliest things that I did at DC um, was a Swamp Thing secret files that um, Brian was writing. He, you know, he had he had um, started his uh, version of Swamp Thing with with Tefe um, at, as Swamp Thing uh, at Vertigo, and they were doing all these. Um, these cool secret files, which would have like a full story in it, as well as, you know, some backups and, you know, character bio pages, like a who's who page. And um, I was helping out a friend of mine um, who was, who was supposed to draw the story, but um, her work uh, in animation um, kind of took over and, and she wasn't able to finish the job. So I ended up finishing um, 
the story and you know it was it was really fun to do you know and you could tell even you know this being like one of brian's earliest books like there was just such a life to it and a snappiness to the writing and um it was it was like shockingly like kind of easy to draw like easy to lay out you know like you could it, it just you knew what you're supposed to focus on and there was room to do it and and it was such a like a just a fantastic experience um and brian liked what i did and and we you know we tried to work together uh many times but never it's like ships passing in the night it's like he, he would be busy with something or i'd be busy with something and and we never made it happen um you know and at, but we kept in touch over the years and and you know at one point you know he called me up he's like hey you know uh image is you know i'm talking to image about doing some books you know you want to do something together and you know and i was about to do i th i think that black label batman i was like I, I you know i was like i've been waiting to do this book for like three years <laughs> you know because uh yeah i think it was yeah because the, the black label batman stuff came out of first wave and then i was working on green arrow black canary i think for a few years and then something else you know so everything that kept getting pushed off so i was like no i gotta i gotta do this batman book and so he's like all right cool but look let's keep in touch you know and then um you know and then he he uh came out with all these great books you know he came up with saga and then um you know and then at panel syndicate he was doing you know um you know with marcos uh and then, and then he started uh, doing TV, you know, and I was like, oh man, I, I lost him. <laughs> you know, he's never doing comics again. You know, he's got, he's got like this blockbuster, you know, hit with Saga. It's like, and, and then and, why the uh, last man? Yeah. You know, and it just, um, I was like, oh, I missed my chance to work with him, you know, but, um, you know, as Wonder Woman was wrapping up, you know, uh, he he sent me an email and I was like, oh wow, it's like this is you know, it would be like every six months you know we check in with each other and you know and for a while it was kind of quiet because he was just working on under the dome, but um, you know he sent me an email out of the blue and he's like, hey, what are you up to? And I was like, you know what, Wonder Woman's ending, let's talk. And you know we and you know he sent me the pitch. He was like, look, this is a really weird story, and if you don't like it. Uh, let me know and I'll, you know, I'll send you something else. But, uh, you know, and it was paper girls and I was reading it and I was like, man, this is, this is different. Like I, I, you know, I've never drawn kids before, but I, you know, I know the vibe that he's going for. And, and Brian and I are both, you know, close to, you know, those, the characters um, in age to the characters at that time. Yeah. So we, we kind of lived it, you know, and I was reading this pitch and I was like, this is really good. It's like, if I don't draw this, someone else is going to draw it. And if someone else draws it, I'm going to be angry about it. So, <laughs> so I should, I should say yes to this, you know? And, and so I, you know, I called them back and, and, you know, and, and we worked it, you know, worked, figured it out and, you know, went from there, but it was just so um, refreshing to see everything kind of, that we imagined for the story being there in that pitch, you know, like the, the girls and their, their specific personalities were all there. And like, I loved that, you know, it was diverse and I love that it was girls. And, you know, when we so usually see boys in these coming of age eighties adventures, you know, like we've seen that so many times 
we don't need another version of that. And somehow, um, you know, this twist, you know, of, of the characters being girls somehow opened up a lot of story opportunities that we hadn't considered or hadn't seen, you know, and, and so it was a really great experience. And, and you know, I, I, I love, uh, I love the book and, and loved working on it. Now, what is it like? Uh, is, is it like a life changing or maybe not life changing, but a career changing thing when something uh, becomes TV like that? Or are you, is it far enough into that process yet for it to be affecting you or? Um, it is, I think it is, it's changed my perspective on things, you know? Um, like I'm, I'm so proud of the book and what we did on it, you know? And then to see that adapted, uh, but still like they're keeping very much the spirit of the book. And, but to see this army of people, you know, designers, concept people and, you know, wardrobe and directors and writers and showrunners and, and just the amount of work that goes into a show is incredible. You know, it, it's, it, you're, you're creating like this village of creative people, you know, and, and moving them to another city so that they can film and, you know, and, and just, you know, in a way, just to, to think that our book is the starting point for all that um, is really humbling, you know, and you just kind of, and it, it's great. It, it's so like uh, rewarding, you know, to think that people, you know, enjoyed something that you made that much that they want to, you know, that they want to do it and, you know, bring it to another medium and bring it to a different audience and, and want to put that much time and effort into it. Um, so, and, you know, and then seeing the actors, you know, the girls, um, are just so excellent they, they, the casting has just been so good you know like they really bring the characters to life and and put their own spin on them at the same time and it, it's it's pretty surreal it's like a little bit like you know um like a kind of like a funhouse mirror you know it's like i recognize that but that's different you know and then but it's it's all just incredibly um interesting and cool to see and and watch unfold so uh, I'm excited. I, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward uh, to, you know, people seeing more of it. Yeah, I do can't you, wait. Do you feel like it's also given kind of, um, kind of like a, a foot, like a, a bearing for people, like maybe fen- friends and family, like before you're like, yeah, I do comics. And no matter how successful you might be at like comics, you know, because it's not like in the like mainstream TV element, like people just don't get it. But now right. it's like, oh, this TV show is coming out and I'm attached to it. And they're like, oh, so now it's like people right. realize like what you're doing is a real job. Like, have you had that yet? Uh, not quite. I, probably because it's not out, you know, uh, once it's out, then then, you know, maybe that reaction, you know, I'll get that reaction a little bit more. But, you know, now, right now, for now, it's all theoretical, you know, it's, um, but, uh, you know, the idea that people will know the story you know, that we made uh, is, you know, and that, that a wider, an even wider audience will, will be able to appreciate, you know, this version of it um, is is super cool. And, and, you know, it's, you know, I I feel like in some ways I'm used to the idea of, you know, people reading my books and stuff like that, but then like, 
it's almost like an order of magnitude difference, you know, when you talk about something, you know, being on a streaming platform that's available to, you know, millions and millions of people, you know. And now there are real people that will be portraying the parts of, of the characters that the, you and Brian created and built and told the story with. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, uh, we have another tradition that we like to do around here, and it's uh, good that we've got Grandpa Batman here for it. Uh, we like to hit people with something we call the lightning round. So that's okay. just going to be a, a series of fun, <laughs> simple questions. All right. Uh, just, just to get to know you. No you wrong answers. Up, Gramps? Oops, if I turn my mic on. <clears throat> yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, and these are just off-the-wall questions, and you can just answer whatever comes to your mind first or go into a whole explanation i mean sometimes these lightning rounds have lasted longer than the actual interview but <laughs> you know <laughs> and it depends on who's asking him aka tom um so in the background i see some things back there what what do you collect um these Is days that voltron seems, yeah there's a that's a lego voltron oh. um you know, uh, that was a lot of fun to build. Um, I, I built it with my, my son. Um, it's just a lot of fun to put together and just the, I, I love Lego because the, oh. the glimpse at engineering, you know, it's like uh, putting that stuff together is, is just always cool. Cause you, you don't really know where it's going. And then suddenly a nut one piece puts it all into place, you know, and you're like, Oh, well that, and that just folds and becomes that thing. Oh, all right. Um, yeah. Yeah, that that um, I love Voltron. There's a bunch of uh, like a couple like vinyl robots and stuff in there. It's sort of like my anime corner. <laughs> um, you know, got some of the uh, the Gachamon characters there. There's a Lego um, alien behind them. Um, oh, okay, yeah. That that was like a uh, a xenomorph. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. That was and that was incredibly cool to build. Um, yes, that thing's huge. Yeah, it's like almost two feet or something like that you know it's and a little wobbly so since we're <laughs> wow. looking at since we're looking at that section i've been wondering whose art is that that's on the wall back there that's paul pope um, it's so. a print yeah it's it's a print he did uh, a bunch of years ago that's, yeah paul's so good yeah okay now <laughs> i mean obviously we already know the answer to this question but i'm assuming you prefer new york pizza style pizza to like chicago deep dish mm -hmm. okay how do you eat your pizza? Do you fold it or do you use a fork or whatever? How do you eat your pizza? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I usually fold it, you know, because I mean, a New York pizza, like, what are you what are you doing that you need a fork and a knife for? I, I, don't, I don't know. You that. get well, beat up. Well, you? I mean, you could if, if it's a bad pizza that's like super like soggy and whatever. But like if you're getting a good like thin crust on it, you fold it and eat it. You know, it's not a it's not a big deal. That's the beauty of, of pizza. You know, if you need to break out a fork and a knife, you've got too much stuff on it or it's it's not a good pizza. Um, there you go. But I think doing so. It's too much if you're breaking out the utensils, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but then <laughs> Chicago is a completely different experience. Like that's like a, you know, I, I don't lasagna. That's it's a, you know, that's a that's a pie. Soup. You know, like it's, it's so. Yeah. You know, that totally makes sense that you might uh, get some utensils going there. That's not something you eat walking down the street. You know. Okay, <laughs> I saw this on Instagram. What's your opinion on this? These these guys make this double layered oh, cheese pizza. 
like a double decker pizza yes yeah on a pizza they do they do one Mm -hmm. layer then they put like buffalo chicken and then they'll they'll put that in the oven for like a a minute they'll bring it out then we'll do another layer crust cheese sauce pepperoni and they'll put that in so then like we pull it out and then flip it and they flip it in the air and then you (laughs) but like you you lift it and there's like a pizza beneath the pizza um you're sacrilegious your thoughts what would keep you from just buying two slices of pizza and eating them together? Yeah, like, I mean, like, is it any different from that, really? Or I don't, no, I don't it just so. seems like a gimmick. It seems like it's yeah, a, exactly. Like a, what do I, they call it? They call it the 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 stuffed pizza, or the double decker, or something. I think right. they call it the bullshit. Right. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's... does Domino still put like cheese in the crusts? Oh yeah, that's like well, that's it's... kind of a that's kind of a genius thing. I that's think, pizza, actually. Right. You know, yeah. oh, pizza yeah, Hut? Is it? yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes that. That to me is is super smart, but um, like cooking, I don't know. You're getting into like calzone territory, there, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. You know, it's just you know, I don't I don't know if you're a religious man, Cliff, but I just feel there shouldn't be <laughs> things that go against God. And 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 when you start putting layers on pizza, it's like, are we making a cake? We're making a pizza. What's going on? You right. Know what I mean, so yeah, just... I, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure what you get from like the different layers, you know. Then then like you you should have a deep dish, I think, which is going to be better and right. probably you know have a nicer crust on it and stuff. So well, it's... I mean, these these things make for you know they make for great pictures and they make for great TikToks, but they don't yeah, make exactly. for great eating experience. Yeah, that's so. that's that's what they're getting from it. They're getting views <laughs> yeah. on their on their yeah. video. It's just hey. upsetting, is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> my next question may be a little more personal. Um, but more personal was, than pizza. I was thinking about this today because <laughs> do you do you like those Keebler fudge stripe cookies? What the Keebler <laughs> fudge stripe cookies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, you right. can tell a lot by how someone eats their fudge stripe cookie. Do you eat it with the chocolate side down on your tongue, or do you flip it over and eat the stripes first? So the stripes are on your tongue. Stripes are on your tongue or the full chocolate on your tongue? And answer carefully. <laughs> uh, we'll turn this car around right now. <laughs> um, you want the full chocolate experience me, or do you me, want the breading? I, I think you're telling me something about yourself that you're talking about eating this cookie with your tongue. <laughs> put it in your mouth and you Wow, bite. they nail like, you. Yeah, I, I don't think... like. You're you're going for a different experience there with the tongue first on the on the bottom of the cookie. Well, uh, I just I, want to know which side you keep yeah, up or down no, on the cookie. Usually, yeah, usually the fudge side, right? The the, the chocolate okay. side on the on the bottom. But I, I would not say my tongue is the first thing to touch. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, all right. I just want to say you're an excellent judge of character. <laughs> Gramps would like to know what you use as a palate cleanser between each bite as well. Hey, what's your favorite oh, okay. Sopranos char- character? Oh. Oh wow, that is that is that is tough. Um, That's a bit more personal. Yeah, I mean, it's like asking which kid you love more. But how if you only have one? (laughs) (laughs) It's like asking which layer of your double decker pizza you like better. They're so. God damn, that's a, that is a really tough question because it's like, yeah, you you love so much of like Tony, but you just can't say Tony. It's just like you know, that's a, that's too easy, you know. Um, well, the Chris, right? Um, yeah, Chris, you know, or Silvio. 
Mm, so Silvio is yeah Silvio is pretty I think right Silvio is as a character is someone I would be okay having in my life (laughs) you know like I would invite Silvio over for for dinner right some of these other guys I don't I don't know if you could um yeah Chris I'm I'm very partial to just because he's he's such a mess and he's tragic super funny yeah um uh, you know, but uh, like Artie is is so tragic too in a completely oh, different way. Like, yeah. I mean, look, I grew up in Jersey, so oh, like Artie I, you know, <laughs> I I I feel I grew up in you know in Bergen County too, so it's like it's like it's close to where Tony's supposed to be, or you know, mm. and uh, it's so like I I recognize so many you know characters that I grew up with, you know, watching The Sopranos and. And so they're all like different parts and, and, you know, it's, um, God, yeah, it's really tough. And then in the later seasons too, where like, uh, you know, uncle junior is in that, in the home, you know, in the, in the, the retirement home. Yeah. And, uh, those scenes are so brilliant with, uh, with, um, you know, when, when he's there and, and yeah. So I don't know, Livia. <laughs> she might you know right she kind of starts everything off she maybe she's the best <laughs> and the therapist, i forget the therapist's name but she was oh, yeah. a great character. melfi oh yeah yeah Dr. Melfi. Yeah. what about janice all right <laughs> yeah i i i told gramps the next time he comes to uh new york new jersey that i'll take him to uh the bada bing because it's yeah. like 10 oh. my house wow to be honest i think it's highly overrated but you got to say that you went there i guess right right you gotta (laughs) get the t-shirt i mean listen i brought my uncle there last time we were there for 10 minutes we had like two beers and we ran out right you wanted just to be in there and just two two beers and two stds (laughs) season uh early season six tony is awesome because he does what does he do peyote he does peyote (laughs) and then he he realizes and understands the meaning of life and he still chooses to be ignorant to it for uh the lifestyle of uh of the uh the the mobster that david chase is a freaking genius man that guy is like he he basically wrote uh he wrote like understanding what life's about but then saying yeah fuck it i'll still be a mobster Furio, yeah. I would say, is my favorite. Furio, oh, he's so good. Oh yeah. Do you have any pets? No, I used to have a dog, um, but uh, no, no, no pets. Okay. So uh, we do another thing here where we have a guest leave a question for the next guest. So uh, Jock had left a question uh, when he was on with us, and uh, I think uh, Dunk, did you uh, get that one queued up? Yes, give me a second. Uh, make sure that the wording's correct. You also have to say it like Jock, by the way. Yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like a nice gentleman. And uh, to, to give you a little bit more time to consider this, if you can uh, come up with a question to leave for whoever we have on next, uh, feel free to throw that at us at the end. So Jock's question was, um, what's your favorite curry? My favorite curry? Wow, um, better not be Steph. That makes sense either. that it's Jock. Uh, Jock's <laughs> love of curry is is legendary, and I keep hearing like anytime we've talked about it, just how how he he loves torturing himself with with the the heat. Um, 
Yeah, when when we were talking to him, he was drawing pictures of Curry at the time. <laughs> really? Just... He was daydreaming about his lunch. Right. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I like a good Thai coconut curry. Yeah. You know, um, but then you know, like, yeah, or yeah, it's uh, that that's probably my you know the the one I go for the most solid go-to uh, yeah but you know uh, curry is curry uh, a lot of it's really good I, you know i don't know if i've had it like a bad one like like if it's prepared well like i don't think i <laughs> i don't think i'd say no to any of it <laughs> uh, i'm partial to a west indian curry just throwing that out there <laughs> yeah a good goat curry oh there yeah go. there you go yeah goat curries are legit Anything left in the chamber there, Gramps? Um, what are you giving out for candy for Halloween? And Ooh. are you giving out the full bars or just the little ones? Yeah. Um, that says a lot about a person as well, right? It does. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I'm in an apartment building, so we don't like generally have uh, the, you know, the, the, the trick or treaters. Um, I like getting what we would generally would do though, is um, get like, uh, like a big variety bag though of like of stuff and then just put it in the bowl and let the kids like grab what they want out of it because like it's it's also a, like a fun thing to see like what the character of these kids are you know like yeah. like they go and they they just <laughs> double fisting you know or they, like <laughs> yeah you know, or just one no you can take another if you want you know and yeah they have to get a, take another you know um and take the bowl yeah and the variety packs are, are great too because you can get like a good mix of stuff i don't like to do like all chocolate ones because as much as i love chocolate like i think halloween is about like the getting the the kind of candy that makes you really sick you know when you <laughs> eat too much of it the so, straight sugar yeah you want like the things that are just you know like smarties that are just like sugar you know you know compacted into you know into pill form you know or um you know or like swedish fish or like something you know like Ugh. i mean i even like candy corns you know like oh, it's, oh yeah oh, it's, it's, it's just part of like Cliff, come on you don't i don't need any other time of the year it's <laughs> you know okay. it's part of like halloween to me you know do you like licorice too licorice <laughs> yes. no i never really yes. came around on licorice i do like twizzlers you know, you know what count, i have to defend you know? him on the candy corn because in the beginning of the season, my wife puts it in a bowl and it disappears. We yeah, all it take goes. a fistful, we walk yeah. away, and then it's good to it, 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 it always ends in regret, but it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like wax. It's like yeah. you're eating wax. <laughs> it's just chewing on candles. Cliff, yeah. what was your favorite Halloween costume that you dressed up as a kid? I never had good ones. Um, they were always kind of like I was either putting them together myself and and just didn't have the patience for it, or I seem to remember vaguely having a pretty great but awful Spider-Man costume, like the store one, you know, like the 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 what what's the and Ben Cooper, Party yeah, City. Ben Cooper one, right? So it was kind of like there was like too much yellow on it. I seem to remember like it was kind of like a vest you know and it was like yellow with like black stripes you know black webbing and 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 stuff you know probably said spider-man on it you know um yeah, it's, it's like you're wearing a smock 
Yeah, um, yeah. It has everything on it. And then you're wearing yeah. the mask with the little uh, hole where it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I that that costume I liked a lot because the mask was awesome. I seem to remember the like the mask had like almost like a texture to it, like a basketball, right? Like it was almost like it was a little like yeah, okay. nubbly, yeah. like you know, like yeah. it, it was it was super weird. But um I loved it because it, it and it scared me too, just looking at that mask, like you know, when it was just sitting there on its own. You're like, that, that does there's something off about that. But um even though it was, you know, wasn't like screen accurate, <laughs> you know, those Ben Cooper costumes were like the closest you could get, you know, and, you know, I didn't have like underoos or anything like that, but like having that, that Halloween costume as wrong as it was there, mm-hmm. there's an aesthetic to it that I appreciate now. Yeah. You couldn't, you know, like you couldn't breathe and uh, you would sweat a ton. So yeah. Good time. Yeah, and, and, those, being, uh, you know, and you couldn't even really wear it, so. right? Because the it's lead like, it paint cold, on the you know? mask got you high. <laughs> By the time yeah. we got home, you'd have holes, it would rip or whatever, but great memories of <laughs> regardless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you're right the, the mask with your hand, and it's like, it's that burning plastic smell too, which smells <laughs> awesome when you open that box. Yeah, I mean, I buy you know ca- Halloween costumes for my daughter, and it's like, God, you don't know what I went through as a kid. <laughs> there was like a slit to breathe through. And if and you wore the it. wrong one on your block, you get your ass beat. <laughs> that, there you go. <laughs> I know. I was there too. I was there too. All right. Okay. Well, Cliff, uh, that's all I got for. The I got one round. more Thank here. You. Oh, okay. Uh, whether it's professionally or personally, what was the best advice you've ever been given and who gave it to you? Huh. The best advice, either professionally or personally? Hmm. Yeah, your, uh, your pick. Hmm. It was passed on to me from somebody else so but so it wasn't said directly to me but professionally um uh kyle baker um said uh that you know your style of drawing is everything that you draw wrong you know um it's it's those are the things that make up your style you know like and those are the things that kind of are distinctive about what you do and, 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 you know, and the things that are wrong, like kind of from like an academic perspective, you know, the things that you don't draw perfectly that are a little screwed up, um, you know, give it life and, and you don't want to file off those edges, you know, you want to keep them. And, and, and that's what makes your work distinct and, 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 you know, takes, brings it away from the cookie cutter, you know, you, you can improve in many different areas, but at, at the, at the same time, you want to keep that personality because, that's that's kind of what it's all about you know and and it's easy to get caught up in trying to make your art as technically proficient as you can and and it's a noble pursuit but at the same time you can't forget like the 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 heart and soul of it it's really interesting completely understand that and a final thing i don't do you do you get time in your schedule to read comics right now um you know, and, and if so, yeah, like, I have something you would recommend for people to check out if they haven't. Yeah, no, I mean, I haven't been reading that much, uh, partly and so, especially with superhero comments, because I feel like um, 
in the course of doing this book, like I didn't want anything to influence what I was doing, yeah. you know, and then, uh, you know, and I know, you know, that there've been some great books that kind of tread on, you know, some, you know, similar territory, you know, like I know, like Tom King's, you know, Batman Catwoman, you know, like there's an older Catwoman in it, you know, and it's, and, you know, and it's, it's about, you know, and, and Batman's dead in that, you know, it's like, and those are just kind of just random, like, you know, circumstance, you know, like similarities. Uh, but like, you know, I, I can't wait to finish what I'm doing so that I can read that book and enjoy it, you know? Um, and uh, so with, superhero stuff I, i've really been kind of staying away from it um there's a I, this book um right here on my friend uh Pornsack and alex uh that they did called the good asian it's a noir um story about a uh asian american detective um you know in in 1936 um and and it's really cool i you know and I, i'm so happy for them that they've you know created this this um, work that resonates and is actually very timely um, in the way that it looks at race and, and, and uh, culture. Very cool. Very All right. Awesome. Well, one, as, as far as recommendations go, though, we uh, will absolutely recommend that everyone do go out and check out Catwoman Lonely City. Uh, we will be getting the first issue when I just said it earlier on the 19th, I believe. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, the first issue. And yeah, everyone definitely get out there, check that out. Whether you're a Catwoman fan or not, I said this when I first read it. Uh, I had posted uh, some thoughts about it. And you you mentioned this earlier too, that there was uh, a Dark Knight Returns-ness to it that I didn't expect there to be. Uh, seeing this older Selena remembering how to do it, but having to do it different ways and you know use different resources and... Uh, you don't need to be a Catwoman fan to enjoy this book. So everyone go check it out. And thank you very much, Cliff, for taking the time to come on here and chat with us about it. We really appreciated yeah. it. Sure. Um, yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I loved hearing like all you guys and like all the, you know, different uh, thoughts that you had about the book and, and, and questions that were raised uh, by it. So I, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thank you for, you know, all the kind words and, and for, you know, taking the time to, to read it and, and chat about it. Our pleasure. Absolutely. And uh, does, yeah, maybe... uh, does, I'm sorry, does Cliff have a question for our next guest? That's right. Yeah. Uh, oh, let's shit. see if uh, I, my question would be, if you were not, I, I mean, who, who are your guests are usually comics creators. If we, Typically, if things work out as planned and the way we hope our next guest is hopefully Kelly Jones. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, this works. Uh, if if you were not drawing comics, what would you do? What would you be uh, doing? Perfect. That'll be a good one uh, to to hear from Kelly too. You know, knowing yeah. the uh, his interests in uh, all things horror and yeah, that'll be cool. I mean, yeah, I mean, right, gonna, you know, the yeah. answer is probably going to be flipping pizzas, but I'll we'll <laughs> let him answer. Oh, when when we did the lightning round with Kelly Jones, I think the first time he was on, we spent <laughs> close to an hour talking about pizza. I think. About pizza, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. yeah, it was like a whole food episode. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't hate? Who doesn't like pizza? You know, it's like it's like breathing. Yes, but uh, if you're wearing that Spider-Man mask, <laughs> a little that little breathing hole. Yeah, you, you'd be drinking it, you know? You'd have that Chicago uh, 
From the straw. <laughs> All right. We're going to let you get out, Cliff. Uh, we'll let you get on with your life. But again, thank you so much. And maybe uh, as the series is coming to a close or something, we'll, uh, we'll talk again and, uh, and revisit the story. Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to come back. It'd be it'd be uh, great to hear what you guys think of like where it goes and 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 where it ends up. Um, you know, the my hope is that with the first issue, it kind of grabs you and and you say, oh, this is this is interesting. You know, and then by the second issue, you're like, all right, I'm in. And then the third issue will be like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. And then the fourth issue is like, damn. <laughs> so um that that's hopefully the the emotional arc of the of the series and and just so you're aware that i mentioned this to you uh, a couple weeks ago but there was something in issue two that i am fully telling everyone is absolutely a nod to us so just just be aware <laughs> <of that. laughs> right yeah yes yes but all right thanks again so much cliff you have a great night and uh we will chat with you soon yeah thank you very much Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, see you in Baltimore. Good night. Yeah. Good night. Cool. All right. And thank you for listening, everyone. Good night.